Hi, thanks for listening to our sermon podcast, Second on the Mount. I'm George Anderson, minister at Second Presbyterian in Roanoke, Virginia. I do not take it for granted that people sit in the pews on Sunday morning or listen to these podcasts hoping to hear something that connects them to God, to each other, to the world. And so I spend hours seeking the right word for the right time and said in the right way. I welcome your feedback. I encourage your sharing this sermon with anyone it might benefit. And I hope you'll return to this podcast again or come visit us for worship. We'd be happy to have you. Let us pray. Holy God, in your living word, we seek direction. Amen. When I learned Friday morning that Ben needed me to preach, (laughs) I didn't want to waste your time. I only had a day and a half to pull a sermon together. So I drew on something that I've been working on for two weeks. I didn't mean to, but I'd given many hours, too many hours, to preparing a bibliography for this year's Trent Symposium for Newly Ordained Ministers. I'd given so much time to it because it became for me, surprising to me, a very personal project because I chose books that shaped my mind and ministry, and with each one, I wrote a paragraph about why the book was so influential to me. Sometimes in doing this, it felt like I was explaining me to myself, and sometimes it felt like I was explaining me to you. The bibliography made clear that I have this perspective that has, for better or for worse, guided me in my Christian witness and ministry. And here it is, Confirmation Sunday, and I wonder what will guide you in your adult lives as Christian witnesses. What will guide us all? Well, listen for direction in the reading of Galatians 2, 15 through 21, and listen for God's word. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is justified not by works of the law, but through the faith of Jesus Christ. And we have come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by doing the works of the law, because no one will be justified by the works of the law. But if in our efforts to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have been found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. But if I build up again the very things that I once tore down, then I demonstrate that I am a transgressor. For through the law, I have died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but the Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. The word of the Lord. The direction of my father's ministry was not set until after he graduated from seminary and was a working pastor. 
Dad is a big supporter of Columbia Theological Seminary, but the seminary that he admires and supports today is not the seminary that he graduated from. Back then, Columbia gave him an approach to theology that was close to being fundamentalistic and that he found not helpful to him when he began serving congregations. And he said that his true theological education began after seminary with good books and common sense and other preachers and members in his churches guiding the way. Well, that's not my story. My theology and the direction of my ministry was set when I was a seminary student. That's an oversimplification because I was raised in healthy churches. I had good professors at Union Presbyterian Seminary, several of whom had significant pastoral experience, and I had internships with supervising pastors who were good mentors. But that said, I can point to a moment in which the theological direction of my ministry was set. That moment was a semester, really, in which I took a class on Reinhold Niebuhr and read his book, The Nature and Destiny of Man. It's a two-volume book, actually. The book came of Gifford lectures that Niebuhr gave at the University of Scotland over the course of three weeks in 1939. The audience listened to the lectures knowing that more and more of Europe was coming under the shadow of the swastika and the shadow was threatening to cross the channel and cover the British Isles as well. It would have been so easy in that day to lose one's faith if not in God, at least in the human capacity to do good. On the other hand, Niebuhr could have been tempted to proclaim the evil of the Nazis and the virtue of the Allies so as to drum up a self-righteous passion for a fight where good would finally triumph over evil. But what Niebuhr did instead was strike this remarkable balance. He drummed up passion to resist Nazi Germany, but he also helped set the stage for reconciliation after the war was through. His lectures were brilliant, an analysis of human nature and history. He drew on many sources to illustrate the wisdom of ancient truths of the Christian faith, that we are inevitably sinners who will never work our way out of sin, and yet... Because we have within us the image of God, we have this capacity to bear an imperfect and tarnished witness to the justice, reconciliation, and peace of God's realm. Knowing our nature, we shouldn't be surprised by evil, but also we shouldn't be surprised by human capacity to achieve some measure of justice and peace. Remembering, the good we achieve will always be tarnished, imperfect, incomplete. His lectures so shined with common sense and was so helpful to world leaders that he became the most famous public theologian of the 20th century. He was named Time Magazine's Man of the Year in 1948. And if you can believe this, he became a darling of Republicans and Democrats, of conservatives and liberals. Much of the political realism of the late 20th century came as much as, as anything as a result of the practical perspective of Reinhold Niebuhr, who was one of the most famous men in America at that time. 
the theologian who helped justify the necessary evil of going to war with Germany was the theologian who helped justify the peace plans that led to the restoration of Germany and Japan. But I did not single out Niebuhr's book and the bibliography because of his influence on the world. I singled out his book because of his influence on me and the kind of ministry that I've had. Niebuhr helped me surrender the naive idealism that I had as a college student, which, if unchecked, could well have set me up to be disappointed in the church, disillusioned in my faith, and unsuccessful in ministry. He helped me see the world, the church, and its members as they are, but see them with grace. And I realized that if I was going to have a long ministry, I needed to come to grips with my being an imperfect pastor of imperfect people who are members of imperfect churches seeking to make an imperfect witness to an imperfect world. I needed to become comfortable with negotiated settlements, with flawed solutions, with partial victories. Niebuhr helped prepare me not to be disillusioned when I saw that motives can be mixed. In fact, he made me suspicious of my own notions of what is right and wrong and my certainties of God's will. Niebuhr said something about democracy that has always struck with me as being true about ministry and being true about followers of Jesus. It's a famous quote, you might have heard of it, but he said that the best we can hope for in life is proximate solutions to insolvable problems. Oh boy, do I wish for the wisdom of this statement to be better known in this age of virtue signaling when so often only one side of the issue can be thought of as right, and where those who disagree are demonized, and where only absolute victory is thought to be acceptable. After reading The Nature and Destiny of Man, I began to think of myself as a Christian realist, and that remains the case. I remain convinced that any faith that does not help one live in the real world can't be a faith about anything that's true. Any Christian faith, any faith that is in a God who was known as the Word made flesh among us, enfleshed in our lives, enfleshed in history, enfleshed in the issues of the day, has to be a faith about life as it is lived in the world as it is. See the world as it is, and then love the world as it is, because God loves the world as it is and then work for the causes of the kingdom in ways that are possible and might actually make a difference. Niebuhr prepared me to love the churches and the people I serve as they are because he helped me see that Christianity is not about being right or winning, but about being a part of a body that seeks to find a way together to witness to the God who heals the God who reconciles, the God who saves sinners like ourselves. I was given theological eyes to see faults and failings, but also see people and churches capable of shocking displays of kindness and goodness. Yes, we're imperfect. 
Yes, with motives not completely pure. Yes, in hindsight, there's always ways we could have done better. But praise God for what is possible by grace. Niebuhr's insights were fresh, but they were not new. His Christian realism comes of the New Testament as so well expressed by the Apostle Paul. Jews and Gentiles are saved by grace, Paul says. And so he undercuts any divides justified because of race or nationality or class or political party. We are not justified by the law, he says. And so he undercuts any demand of perfection or any pretension of self-righteousness. Paul admits to his own sin and his own need for grace and thus undercuts the pride, snark, and sarcasm of those who have to be right and won't admit a wrong and who pretend to have captured the truth. He expresses no hope that we can on our own achieve perfection and this undercuts any utopian ideal that we can create this perfect world where life is fair. And he declares that by God's grace, good can come. And thus celebrates that we can, in some way, make a witness to God's justice and peace that means something. Niebuhr's book was the first one that I put in the bibliography that I prepared because it was the most influential work that I read. And then when I thought about the other works that I had in the bibliography that have shaped my mind and ministry, it struck me how Christian realism is this thread that holds through all of them. There's a book by Jonathan Haidt which convincingly describes how both liberal and conservative values have helped us survive as a human race. There is Dan Airely's book that explains why we are not and never will be primarily rational creatures and we need to come to terms with the fact that more powerful forces than reason guides us and guides history. There's the book by Fred Craddock that shaped my preaching more than any other and which helped create my aversion to what would later be called virtue signaling that good sermons aren't just spitting truths out there in the wind that do no good, but good sermons meet people where they are and then goes on a journey with them. And then there are the books on biblical studies that take seriously both the witness of Scripture and the witness of the modern world in thinking about things like race, sexuality, the environment, and the universe. Being a Christian realist, Open my eyes to the glory of the churches I serve. I see and hear so many Christian ministers and ministers out there in the larger world who've gotten this idea that a church has to become something, has to become something that earns the right to be loved. As if churches have the ability to be perfect and deserve condemnation for falling short. Niebuhr helped me greatly admire and deeply love every imperfect and flawed congregation I have served, and to love and appreciate those in them who see the world differently than I do. So Christian realism has given me the eyes and the heart to see and love Second Presbyterian Church. That despite the flaws and biases of this church and its members, I can celebrate what by grace this church has meant to the valley over its years. 
I see a church that never closed its doors to anyone based on race. A church that made the decision to remain downtown where it best can serve. A church that has taken the lead in establishing and supporting most of the significant ministries that deal with issues of poverty in the area. A church that has been generous in providing quality facilities and programs for the members that it serves, while at the same time providing strong support for outreach ministries. A church that has shown special care for its children, for its confirmands, for its youth, for its older adults, and for its flawed ministers. And because we have made a witness that by grace we can be thankful for and give praise for, even though nothing was ever perfect, we realize that we can do great and wonderful things right now because we have the full. And that by the grace of God in the future, we can continue to be the flawed body of Christ that we are called to be. That's not the end of the sermon. My charge to you, compromise, will be the end of my sermon. Today symbolically marks the beginning of your life of Christian witness, of adult Christian witness. You can choose to think of religion as superstition and faith as belief in things that don't make sense. You can choose to believe that being a follower of Jesus means you have to be perfect, perfect like Jesus, or you will fail. You can choose out of pride in your faith to look down on others as less than you, or out of shame, look up to others thinking they are better than you. You can be the type that always finds fault and thus offers no grace for good efforts that fail, victories that are partial, progress that comes of compromise, and motives that are mixed. But I would not advise any of that. My hope for you, my prayer for you, is the same prayer and hope that I have for myself, that you can recognize the limits to being human the inevitability of our messing up, and the amazing grace of a God who would live as one of us and makes it possible for us, sometimes despite ourselves, to make a witness that brings some goodness and some kindness and some justice in this world. You will see how God's love and life can shine through and among us in imperfect but amazing ways. I pray for you a faith that is all about living in the world as it is and then bearing witness to the world, to Christ, because we, like God, love this world. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.